Hey friends, maybe this is an episode that you don't really want to listen to because it makes you uncomfortable. Well, let me suggest that it's precisely because it makes you uncomfortable that it might just be the episode you need right now. Stacy, as uh, listeners may know, is a death doula. I think it might be fun to call this uh, line of uh, vocation a mortality concierge. Often you'll find it online as somebody describing themselves as an end-of-life doula. But as we're going to find out, Stacy is somebody who's interested in bringing these conversations to people of all ages because by facing death, by confronting our mortality, it is in that moment that we begin to really find that liberation and freedom in our lives to live, to find the meaning of our lives and also not to waste it. So we're not going to talk about too much of the unfortunate stuff. We're going to talk about the breakthroughs and the value of going through the work of planning and reconciling ourselves to nature and reality and our future and the folks that we have in our lives. So we're so glad that you're along for the ride with us. Let's listen to what Stacy says, not only about what she does, but why you might want to bring a person like this into your own life or into the life of somebody in your family, somebody that you love. Uh, but also, we're just going to work through this for ourselves right here, right now, because wherever you stand between now and the uh, event horizon, there are an infinite number of points along that line. There are a lot of nows between here and then. And so if you're going to live in the now, friends, let's do it right. Thank you for being with us. Let's go. Stacy, we were traveling across the country in our camper van, living the road life, working through our rendition of the Tao Te Ching. And along the way, we thought it was going to be good for us to stop by a little place called The Farm in Tennessee. This was a commune from the 60s, an intentional community. And uh, that's where kind of this story picks up for you. It was not something you were thinking about. No, it wasn't. Uh, When we went went there, definitely learned about uh, birth doulas and Ida, Ida Mae Gaskin and how... That was a big movement there at the farm and training people for uh, birth doula work and things. But um, as that community is getting older, they had mentioned the need for death doulas. And I was intrigued. I was like, what, you know, is that? And it's kind of like one of those things where, you know, you want somebody to walk you through, you know, bringing birth into this world. Uh, and it's really helpful to have somebody walking you through uh, leaving this world in an ancient kind of way in in a way that's not so clinical I think right and so you know I I just for clarification you know I don't take the place of any clergy I don't take the place of any sort of doctors or anything like that I literally am there to come alongside you to process some of these things uh, uh, related to death that you might need to work through and it could be different it will be different for uh, each individual and sometimes it'll happen at end of life and sometimes it'll happen even for people that are in their 20s that I've worked with that if you just, depending on what the needs are, 
uh, there's, you know, different things where it could just be some of the logistics, right? There can be um, philosophical issues. There's still, there is that level of spirituality that I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm helpful to sit through uh, while, you know, while those concerns are also being addressed. But again, my point is to come alongside people and um, be there for whatever their needs might be. And it's different for every single person. And what I like about that is that kind of advocacy where you're not against medical doctors and you're not against clergy being involved, but you're able to kind of be on their side. Yeah. It's not the hospital side, the the in-laws side. It it really is very much an advocacy for the person I'm working with, as well as, um, you know, just that they have rights. And what are those rights and how do those rights want to be addressed or explored? A lot of times, you know, if you actually are dealing with end of life stuff, there's a lot of family members and stuff that are going to chime in with their own beliefs of what they think is best. And and a lot of emotion behind that. A lot of emotion. And so a lot of times people are thinking that, you know, maybe the best thing that they're that they want to do for their loved one is actually maybe against the wishes of the loved one. So the better the more that we can communicate and the more that we can um, express what our own wishes are and what that looks like, um, it takes all of that crazy guesswork out from all your loved ones because your loved yeah. ones are caught in the middle of, you know, wanting to do the, you know, often they don't want to obviously see you die and then they want, to do what they think, you know, might be best, but often according to their own, maybe sadness or, you know, undealt with issues or whatever. And so, um, sometimes what they might want for a loved one, isn't really what the loved one would actually want for themselves if they're in the process of dying. So it's really, really important to really kind of, I don't know, address all of these things, for the ease of the people around you that you that you do love, so they're not having to. Get, I mean, to make any guesses. One of the worst things I think when you, when you deal with actual end of life is when the family members all start to fight yeah. because they all disagree about such a wasted opportunity. What is the best way forward, right? Mm-hmm. And and of course, you're dealing with all these emotions and all these feelings. And so everybody's on heightened alert. And and there's so much going on that anyway, that to, to take all of the guesswork out of it and then just allow the process to unfold allows you to be freed up to be able to just experience that time with your loved ones um, and concentrate yeah. on that. Because you magnify all that opportunity to be present. Right. As well as the fact that and if you're, you know, not even in the process of dying and if you can, can confront some of these things and make some plans, um, you can kind of look at what is your own legacy so far and you still have the room to make changes. Yeah. And, you know, if you want your legacy to be different, if you want the story that is told about you to kind of look a different way. The you, last chapter you can, of your life can really change the whole novel. Yeah. And yes, exactly. And I mean, and that can be anywhere from, you know, a couple of years, but it can also be decades if you plan, you know, ahead of time and, and way less wasted time. So my interest in this work is about helping people to live and to live more fully 
And it's not just to be dwelling on, on death. It's like, it's being able to confront that so you can live as that quote that you often, um, do quote saying, if you die before you die, then you don't have to die. Right. And it's that, it's, it's that piece, um, that you have already worked through that. And then also there's, there's some stuff related to the Tao Te Ching too, that we came across. Um, yeah, let me, let me read some of that because that, that, that's what I found interesting as we're working through the Tao Te Ching ourselves, mm-hmm. we're going through this, we're extracting ourselves from a very, uh, kind of conservative evangelical American dogmatism. And in that world, of course, um, as far as I saw it, death was seen as a very much a bad thing. And, um, the proper response was anger very often from pastors and so forth, because this is the work of the devil. This is the work of the fall. Death is a punishment for Adam and Eve's sin. And while those can be helpful at the very direct level, that might not be as helpful for what I'm looking to do. And the Tao Te Ching, at least when we are reading through it, is very much about saying that the way that you're going to be happy and free is by confronting reality. Mm-hmm. And that's, of course, something that we don't tend to want to do, that confronting of reality. Um, and also, as we were going through it, I, I think we found many ways in which translators also missed the importance of facing death in these texts and in Taoism in general. But let me just read this one that I thought uh, you really put a lot of the death doula thinking into. This is chapter 51 from our rendition. Uh, This is uh, Tao Te Ching, a playfully sincere rendition by Stacey and Jeff Mallinson. You can get it on Kindle and paperback. Looks like a lot more people are going for paperback. I think probably because people want to have a copy and have it on them. But if you're the kind of person that might be stuck at a, you know, dentist's office or you're, you know, stuck uh, on a train or something, having the Kindle, I always find is kind of fun for even myself to be able to, to call it up and just read one or two, um, you know, as you go, but to, uh, uh, to just kind of plug that, please do consider picking up our, our no. uh, version of this online on Amazon. And the thing that's nice about the paperback though, if you do want that version is that it's also, I mean, it's, it's, it's not super big. So it, yes. it can travel with you very easily. I write um, notes in the corner. You know, yeah. And then you can, you know, take it easily on the airplane or wherever else you're going. Get both, friends. Anyway, uh, here's chapter 51 from uh, our wording. The Tao births them, then de nurtures them. Matter affects them. I was going to say shit happens. <laughs> <laughs> Life events complete them. There's not a single living thing that doesn't exalt the Tao and proclaim does glory. They exalt the Tao and proclaim does glory, not through coercion, but spontaneously because of who they are. So the Tao gives birth to them, then de nurtures them, tends to and teaches them, completes and cultivates them, nurses and buries them. It births but does not own them gives without imposing obligations, and leads without coercing. They call this the mystical de. Now, there are more places that speak directly of death, but it was that second to last stanza, as we have it, that uh, that you saw, as mm-hmm. you were just kind of... I was kind of getting frustrated with you, because I just wanted to move past this at one mm-hmm. point, and you said, no, there's something about that line, nurses and buries them. Yeah, they... 
um, oftentimes, you know, a word that would be used uh, with other translations as protects. Uh, and yes, there is a protection that would happen, I guess, um, when you bury somebody. It's a, you know, bringing them back into the earth. And, and there is like a shroud. And they, and they called it a shelter or mm. a protection. But I just thought that um, it's not enough to really like get the full idea nurses and protects because yes, but there's also that piece of like, as you said, shit's, shit happens. Right. And so it's not like, it, it sounds a little false to even kind of say like that, like if depending on what we think of protection, um, that it would be like, oh, you're not going to be without harm, right? Because right. that's not the case. It doesn't. And, and the, the data jing yeah. never promises that people will live without pain or, or, or you know, that that kind of thing. Like life is going to affect you. There's going to be things, but it will. You'll also be taken care of in the process. And the idea from birth until afterlife of of you being taken care of, I think is far more, uh, like true and also, uh, to the point of what was being said, than uh, than some kind of false inclination of, of that you will not be harmed in the process. Or just, yeah. Or just like kind of leaving the story without the complete cycle. The, of yeah. Life, the you whole know? circle. And, and, and our life here is, cyclical but i think that there's just so much more to that whole process and that chapter when it says them this is the living beings yeah all the ten thousand things and so as we go through the world this is something that is is something that we found attractive from this particular philosophy and it's also found in buddhism where you would have you know in many ways the buddhist meditation practice is very often about um, being able to face death, to come to terms with it, and to really die before you die. It's, I would argue, the mystic's question. It is what you do when you're in savasana at the end of yoga, laying there in the so-called corpse pose, and then coming back in. But it, it is interesting that I think the, the, the Tao Te Ching in general uh, is a more philosophical, you know, text when it comes to Taoism. But as far as what we were talking about in a recent episode, we were talking about Taoist meditation practices. And one of the things that you'll find in that conversation is that one of the things you're doing as you're sitting and you're meditating is you're coming to terms with the fact that you're part of the river, uh, that, that unity, when you realize your unity with the sacred, with nature, with each other, your family, then you can not obliterate your own perceptions, mm-hmm. your own individuality, the beautiful you that is you, which is how I heard it when I was a person as an observer from the outside a little bit more, not understanding it like, oh, this Eastern philosophy is just obliterating yourself. The word that I think is interesting about the Taoist tradition is that the point of meditation is to realize oblivion. Oblivion being a kind of a, a word that seems kind of scary or like the, the Buddhists talking about the void. But as I understand the meditative tradition in the Tao, uh, the Taoist tradition, that the best of it really is 
obliterating yourself so that you become part of the whole thing. Yeah. Like you, you blast out of this ego death with uh, an expanded self. You're like, you let your true self uh, emerge. Now I know that like, you know, I, I sometimes will quote Zizek uh, who is basically channeling uh, this uh, psychoanalyst named Lacan who says there's no such thing as your true self. All there is, is the, the, the faces that you put on. And I understand that in a, a cultural sense or in a philosophical sense that, that we always, you know, like who, what is my true self other than what I do? I, I, I get that. But I think at a, at a deeper level, this work is a spiritual work. It can be a spiritual work that fits within a religious tradition. It also is a spiritual work that can be done for people that are secular. And so I really do think um, that one of the things I've seen that's been very helpful for you is being sensitive to people's religious situation. Right. We on this show very often will get a little feisty just because, you know, when you get a, you get angry sometimes at, at the things that you experienced with religious trauma, but you know, religious traditions have a whole bunch of good stuff in them that we need as human beings that in the secular world that we have generally now in the modern West, we've lost a lot of these things. Yeah. I would say that, I mean, and, that is one um, other helpful piece that you have been, you've come along my side and helped me with people that have needed to talk through some of the spiritual aspect and their belief in God based off of their traditions as well. Yeah. Because oftentimes there's a lot of separation that needs to happen from maybe even what the doctrines even are in that faith right. tradition versus the human beings that kind of fed other information in there. So, you know, even to respect each person's doctrine that they want to like, you know, that they connect with, that they believe, like, you know, those traditions and you can talk through at least what the implication, the true implications are of each of those doctrines. And a lot of times people are just confused based off of what parents or other, you know, pastors or whatever told them that even isn't in their church doctrine. Yeah. They might've just, their, their doctrine of hell is based on a Bugs Bunny cartoon or <laughs> Who something. Knows? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that we can, that can also just be like, um, corrected based right. off of even what these doctrines are. Uh, one thing I will say though, can I back up sure. to the, um, with the Tao Jing, the chapter that you read, and and there's this piece that I think is just so interesting. You talked about before a lot of times with Christianity, the idea of, you know, like with death and being angry and it's a brokenness, yes. like some, you know, and we're broken, we're sin, sinful, all these things that are happening to me that are bad. I did on purpose to and myself. And I see it's a little different here in the Tao Te Ching when it says there's not a single living thing that doesn't exalt the Tao and proclaim does glory. And, you know, in my Christian world, it would seem like, oh, that's like worship or something. Cause, oh, I'm here, I'm living. So I'm going to worship this, this, this thing that gave me life. But it says they exalt the Tao and proclaim does glory, not through coercion, which to me, worship is usually coercion. Right. Bow before this, bow before this, near being, Eastern deity. you know, whatever yeah. that is. So that you don't go to hell. But it happens spontaneously. Because of who you are, there's nothing else to it. Just the intrinsic value of every little butterfly, every little dance. Because of who you are. Friends, whoever you are right now, you're a little beautiful butterfly. That exalts, (laughs) you know, the, it, it exalts the Tao and it proclaims does glory. The fact that 
you are living here, the fact that you are a being on this earth, the fact that you have relationship with other people. I mean, all of it, the it's human amazing. experience. It's, it it's, doesn't happen on Venus. It's absolutely amazing. The, the yes. universe is kind of, kind of like, like a desert. <laughs> And I mean, it de- that doesn't even do justice to deserts. Deserts are so filled with amazing life. So when you realize that you have come yeah, here, on, amazing. you've come here on this earth, you are living this life. And so anything that's going to tell you that this particular life means nothing and that everything is just all about the afterlife. Right. I f- feel like. That would be um, an injustice to what this experience really should be here. And an injustice to We're the beauty of, of each individual exactly. 10,000 thing thing. Right. You are a beautiful person and you are here. And, of, you know, anyway, we do have all these things to work through. But the fact that none of the living things, they do spring up, but they also do die. And that really is a natural thing uh, it's the circle of life we don't like to think about it it it's, sounds it's actually yeah. what keeps this earth going if yes. you didn't have death if you didn't have things decomposing if you didn't have nutrients put back into the soil there wouldn't be new life the it dance, wouldn't yeah. it wouldn't continue the it bear would, the bear eats the salmon and it leaves a little bit left and that salmon goes into the soil and then the mycelium from the mushrooms draws from that and gives it to trees that need that nutrients and it goes on and on and now what's interesting is we were looking at this we were at the farm and and uh you know you kind of realized this is something you wanted to get into we were then dealing with our own ability to kind of reframe spirituality and just existence as we're reading this and working through it. And then also what's really interesting in all of it is I sometimes think it's funny that we we keep forgetting that one of the most important, you know, historically in this very recent vocation of death doula, uh, one of the most important figures in this whole movement was uh, Ram Dass, who uh, was Uh, you know, Richard Alpert, who was the uh, psychology professor at Harvard who gets booted for doing psychedelic research. And And he realized... And first he gets booted and in trouble. And then later on, they realize, oh, that's kind of cool. Let's start talking to him and interviewing him. And they bring him back for lectures, by the way. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, that's true. And then he goes off to India and he gets, uh, you know, connected with a guru and all this. But I think at the end, I think the, the best stuff he had was just coming to terms with that role that he actually had that was like something he did in his life that was like a job for him and uh, the, basically f- you're saying the the, in the a, death doula it, work. yeah the death doula work and the famous quote is we're all just walking each other home yeah and i think that's really good now and now, they say that his biggest um change in himself happened after he had a stroke and after he had to start relying on people that's what he mm. he even said that in that for him that need for other people to help take care of him, like really helped with just putting himself aside mm-hmm. and then realizing, okay, we're all in this together. This is all of this matters. I'm not able to function and do all the things that I was able to do before. So tons of LSD 
and hours and hours of meditation was not sufficient to break his ego. No. He, <laughs> he was, needed it, the stroke. He, that's what he said. I mean, well, and I don't know if he said he would yeah. need it, but I will say that, that, that there, his life changed. Oh, he probably would say that. Yeah. The, the life changed, his life changed for, according to him for the better after he had to confront that. And I think he's really helpful there. There are occasions when he will do this thing that you get in more of a Hindu context where there's this idea that you're a soul that enters into this life and you kind of chose it. So the things that are bad that happen to you, you kind of chose this before you were born. And that, I I don't want to fault him. He's like such a groundbreaking dude in so many ways. But, you know, when when you're coming out of the Squaresville that most people were in the 40s and 50s into this countercultural movement, you're making some kind of pioneering mistakes. I, I, I'll say them as mistakes in the sense that I personally, at least, do not like what I sometimes see in the New Age kind of spiritual spaces where the things that I do wrong or the things that are suffering experiences in my life that are painful and and heavy mm-hmm. are things that I somehow manifested or brought on myself. This sounds so... Um, As if there was like something in that particular lesson that you would have learned in this existence. I, I, I think that... I think that to me it would be odd if you knew the full life you were signing up for before you, <laughs> yeah, dropped, if you were <laughs> dropped into it because I think then the lessons really aren't lessons that you've actually learned. It's just going through the process and feeling the pain or the, whatever it is related to that. Right. Um, maybe, maybe there's a waiver, <laughs> if you will, that you're ultimately going to die when you drop into this human existence. Right. Um, and it could go and randomly and all people are around you are going to die. And so there will be some pain and there will be suffering. You don't know exactly what that looks like. I don't know. I'm just saying that it would be odd to me that, you say, oh, Jeff Mallinson, and here, you know, this is your life this story. This is your story. And you're, like, dropping in with these parents and all that, and you're signing. You're signing up for that. And, like, this is the lesson I need to learn. I just don't think that. Well, let me take it back another level, and that, and that is there's so much that I enjoy about, you know, falling asleep listening to a Ram Dass lecture, but I never, at least of late, have found too much value in these kind of possibilities spiritual doctrinal almost possibilities mm-hmm. whether it's reincarnation or the afterlife mm-hmm. and i'm you know I've, i i'll not share it now but i recently wrote a poem for open mic night um that hopefully we'll be able to do tonight or tomorrow night um called unbeliever and i was kind of toying with this idea that i don't believe anything anymore i'm open to things so um, I do not deny the afterlife and I do not deny preexistence. I don't need to deny those things. I just am open to my perceptions and to the wonders of reality. But what I don't tend to like is somebody trying to use either the afterlife or karma mm-hmm. to justify my current painful situation. That's where I find more value in the Taoist tradition of just saying, this is. Yeah. Come to terms with it, right? Like just be right. present in this. And face it, right, and right. And, and reconcile with it. Um, and I think any other kind of temp, attempt like that is not helpful. No, it's interesting. I think even as a family, we've gotten even a little bit more woo-woo since the loss of our 23-year-old son. Um, when we were doing the service for him, uh, we did it at Puesto, the restaurant where he worked. And we 
had a lot of clergy friends that were there that we did not invite to sermonize. And we kind of, um, we, we, we tried to keep a lot of that token conversation. We, we didn't, we did not invite people up to the service to theologize or to preach. Right. And I, and, and we definitely did that intentionally because there was a, a piece of it that we were pulling out of the <laughs> Christian well, world in that. But meaning making that is often done yes. with sometimes these platitudes is not helpful. Like this was definitely a, tra- a, a tragic moment. Yes. And there was a pain and there was grief. Mm-hmm. And it, I do feel that there is a randomness to it. And there was just like, okay, this is now our state in life. I don't think that God planned it. I think it would be blasphemous. It's taken the Lord's David Vade if you want to use say that. that from the I mean, yeah. and, and, and if there is a God that planned it, I don't, I don't like that God. I don't want to worship got, you that got God. A bone to pick. And maybe, you know, but I just don't think that that is what, God would do. I think in order for us to be able to be the beings that we're either, we're either slaves or we're free beings. If we're slaves, then we're doing the bidding of a God and that God already knows exactly what we're going to do has already ordained it and has already laid out our lives for us. And I think that that is a torturous God um, because that God then decided that our suffering but anyway, none of this really, when I'm doing my death doula work, by you're the way, you're not doing this. No, this I is me not, inserting myself. But, I'm not talking about my own. Except, except it is talking about what you're doing. Cause here, from my perspective, mm-hmm. because what I'm saying is what I was trying to get to is if people were to see us, here's this guy, me mm-hmm. who taught at a religious school, taught divinity, essentially, right? Philosophy mm-hmm. and religion, theology, and I'm not really interested in any theology because it just it just felt too hollow. It felt like the wrong thing. As time has gone on, we are, have been enjoying getting more fanciful about the possibilities of existence beyond life mm-hmm. and the infinite and all this. But to use that as a way to try to like bypass the pain is not helpful. So the point being, yes. if Stacy, if you were to work with somebody, if somebody's even listening and says, Hey, I, I would like to, uh, I would like to work with Stacy. If you're in the Portland area, you could do it in person. You could do it via zoom, but the person might be asking, well, are you going to bring in a lot of woo woo? No, unless no. you want it. Are you going to take away the woo woo? No, no, unless you want it. Right. I mean, like, I mean, that's not your game. No. Yeah. It literally is providing a space for you to process this stuff through. We can go through just certain, and for every person, it's going to be different what their needs are. Right. Um, and then, yes, if, if this is something that you need to talk about and that you want to talk about, mm-hmm. um, my opinions aside, but I will ask you questions. Yeah. And, and help you kind of like think through and you can, you know, we can do research together. And you're and not a newbie to the conversations about predestination and Wesley right. and losing your salvation. If those are things that people bring to their end days exactly. and it's fear. And I think this is where I want a death doula for myself because sometimes I might be in the mood to be more woo woo than, you know, hard and skeptical. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I might want to explore that feeling and that concept. Sometimes I might want to say, 
you know, my clergy friend here wants to show up and, and come into my, my hospital room here and tell me some things. And I'm trying to be polite, right? Mm-hmm. But maybe I don't have a lot of time or patience to be polite to the clergy person who's doing their best. They're trying to help me with, with what they bring to the table. And by the way, there are a lot of very well-trained um, chaplains in a variety of denominational traditions. But I'm talking about if somebody has grown up in the church and they're kind of like not really in that space anymore, but they feel obliged to have the family pastor come out, that, there's a lot of anxiety that could be part of that conversation. Right. And what a death doula does is allows you to just actually process this without the medical profession's interests or family's interests in your Ferrari. Whatever the... And if you need me to point you to the direction of somebody that can help you in your faith tradition for the spiritual aspect of it, I'd be happy... To help you to get help, connected. To help do that. One of the things that's kind of interesting is one of the misconceptions often for somebody that actually is dying is that they are super concerned about the afterlife. That it seems like more often they're more concerned with the loved ones they're going to leave behind and are they set up? Are they okay? Well, are they okay with my dying? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that that's something that we, you know we contemplate or whatever when we think about our death, about the afterlife. But when you actually are given your death sentence, if you will, Mm -hmm. you know, um, there's so many other pieces of this that you often want to make sure that are okay or all in line. And then once you feel like that is taken care of and that your loved ones are okay, then you can just maybe process your own death, but, or just, live in the moments that mm-hmm. you still have with your loved ones because you know that already is going to happen, right? Right. And you can't stop it. You can't control it. But so much of the time people think that they're being helpful by saying, we're going to fight this. Yeah. And the doctor feels like the he doc- or she is a failure if, if you die. If you die, right? right? So like you're always trying to like perform for them maybe, you know. But but what would you say as, you, as you've, you know, kind of been thinking about this and, and what people really do care about. You say, what, what, what's the number one well, the num- regret? Yeah. The, and, and we've mentioned this a little bit, but yeah, the number one regret is folks usually when they're looking at their lives and realize that they didn't live true to themselves, that they were living their life based on what other people expected of them or told them, you know, that they needed to, that they didn't actually maybe pursue what it was that would be meaningful them for meaningful for them in their own life or you know whether that's you know anything to do with their religious beliefs their relationships their careers where they live like there's so many different avenues that that can go but you know often you know we're afraid to break free from um our parents expectations or any expectations that loved ones have on us and the, yeah, the biggest regret is like, wait, when you're looking at the end of life, I'm like saying, I never actually like did like what I think I was put here on this earth mm-hmm. to do. If you really want to think about like who you are as a person and what would have brought meaning to your life, those kinds of things. Um, it's so much more important to be able to try to figure out what those things are and how you feel about this. Uh, so that if there are changes that can be made, that you that you 
have the time and the ability to perhaps pursue that. And, and rather than living, you know, in regret and then saying, oh, you know, I guess my, my opportunity, my chance is over now mm-hmm. and, and, and not really ever living into that. And I think there's another thing that happens, um, and we've talked about this as well, where you look back at a life and you say, well, that's not really who I am. I was a good dad. Mm-hmm. But you ignored your kids your whole life. Mm-hmm. And maybe you were fighting too much with anger. Yeah. Or you disowned them, right? Well, the, the phrase that occurred to us a while back is, you are who you were. That is who you are, mm-hmm. right? Like if you were an uncaring parent, 30 years of that, now you're at the end of your life, you can't say that's not who I was. I mean, mm-hmm. in a certain sense. In this embodiment, you were that, mm-hmm. but you don't have to be now. Right. And so that's the great gift. Once you stop worrying about all these other like logistical hassles, you can get busy being a loving parent. And the people in your life that maybe you've neglected, they don't have to come around right then. But there's something I would think very helpful about, about making that move of reconciliation at that, at, at that point. And, you know, unless you're really dealing with a, a, a short timeline, a diagnosis that's, that's not, uh, fortunate, right. In people's mind, a diagnosis, uh, that gives you a few months to a year or something. There's a lot of moments, as I was saying, there's a lot of moments for you to reconcile and to love and to find great, great beauty. If you're willing to do that work. Yeah. And one of the things that I appreciated in listening, one of the things that I appreciated in listening to a recent um, episode of uh, Duncan Trussell uh, with uh, where he talks with Ram Dev, a contemporary of Ram Das, And he talks about how, you know, he calls it more like with enlightenment or whatever, when you have these moments, these aha moments or whatever, and you want to be, you know, this, you know, do this and be this kind of person. And you want to start like maybe paying more attention to your kids, uh, that the, when you fall off the rails, the less time you spend beating yourself up over it and living Mm -hmm. in that regret and that guilt and that frustration. And the more time you get busy getting back on track and then just spending that time once again with your kids is, is sort of the key to like, you know, like living more in that state. I think that there's sometimes it feels so hard to think that like, Oh, I can't make change because I always just go back to this other behavior that I, or the way that I've always done things. But every single moment, Every single day is another opportunity to choose to do different. Yeah. And the less time we lose, <laughs> you know, worrying that, you know, we, we didn't do it, <laughs> um, is the more time that we'll be on track doing it. And, and, and that can start now at yeah. any point. And I think that that is helpful because then that, you start living into that. And the more and more you do live into that way of what you want to do, then that becomes more and more of who you are. You know, that's the story that, that your children experience. Yeah. That's the story, you know, rather even they don't even maybe know all of your internal struggle of how many times 
you weren't present or whatever, but they just start to notice and feel the times that you are. Yeah. And, and then that is it. Give that gift. Like, I mean, yeah. Give the gift of at least saying I couldn't get my act together to be present. Yeah. And I think that that's some of that stuff, the importance of, of the things that you realize through that happens when, if I, you know, if, if you were interested in doing legacy work and we could talk about, well, what, what is legacy work? Yeah. So that's where, um, you know, we could talk through certain questions that I ask you and you think through your life and answer these questions. I did this exercise with you and I remember Uh, it was a very heavy experience. I hated it. You, and you did. And did you have me do, you had me record something? Yeah. I, I recorded it all. I think I have it somewhere, but it was the nastiest, poisonous. I was just hating on myself. I was so disappointed in myself. Do you remember what I said? I can't remember now. I, I forgot about this. So I, I, I think what it came, what, what came of it was in asking some of these questions, like for, let me give you an example. Like one of the questions would be, what are your most important accomplishments and what do you feel most proud of? And when you were thinking through your life at the time, and you know, this is, we were living, you know, in Irvine at the time, you're still at the college and, and you're like, I have these like accomplishments in my life, but I'm not really very proud of them when I think yeah. of it. If I'm thinking of it from the perspective of end of life. So I have yes. an, a, an, a doctorate from Oxford. Right. I, OUP publication. I, yeah. And I have. Speaking, I'm speaking at a stadium, you know, this is great. And like, I'm kind of embarrassed about these things. And even now it's like, I have to sometimes. You know, we've done podcasts to try to like kind of say like sorry a little. <laughs> I've changed my mind about that. Yeah, but I would say now you can say, "Hey, I did some big moves. I changed up my life entirely. Right. I, you know, because of even having to stare that in the face, it was a painful process. It but gives it, you the courage. It gave me the courage to quit. To then say, what are now real accomplishments? Right? Um, we're figuring out how to move forward after the death of our son, who was super. Yeah. I mean, of. I don't he even, was our lives, yeah. not our, just our lives, our children's lives, his fiance's life, everybody at work. Right. Like, so like, uh, that it was a huge thing to try yeah. to figure out and how to come on the other side of that, how to live in a place that we feel proud to be living in. And by the way, that, that is feels, pretty much what we do every day. We're like, what, what's our goal? Like just to, you know, exist like it is kind of right normally, now, right you now, know, yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's okay to get too. healthy. Yeah. And, and, and I think. That whole, the, the whole process, um, of having to kind of even come to terms with all of that, it's like, it gives me, you know, more, um, like a thought of like, I don't want to waste, uh, the time going forward to like help. I don't want to not promote Augie's legacy. I don't want to not, you know, like kind of keep sharing that love that he had that love for life yeah uh it's really 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 hard but the fact that like he understood that and he knew that that was important is like to sort of find your craft and like and love that make your life your art and make everything you're doing meditation yeah like even when you're so that gives me inspiration to keep you know moving forward but when you are forced to kind of wrestle with some of these questions yes about what 
has been your life so far? Um, what roles have you had in your life and are you proud of them? You know, mm-hmm. like, are, you know, with some people. You got to deal with it sometime. And so. I'm glad I dealt with it a few years ago instead of later. You know, if, if you always wanted to be a parent and you don't find yourself being a parent right now, we found ourselves being parents to people that we have not birthed. <laughs> um, yeah. And that is a. It is a real thing. Some and of the most important people. Some of the most, yeah. yeah and and some of and, and there's an opportunity there to be a parent if you want to. You don't have to birth somebody in order to do that. There's just so many. Like, what roles do you want in your life? What do you want to nurture? You and, know. And in a practical way, then the the nice thing about this legacy work you're talking about is you're going through these questions, but you're also able to do some things, and and we can as a couple. Um, recording stories, mm-hmm. creating websites, creating videos, you know, not um, the, the video videography is different, but just being able to put it, uh, edit it together for you um, or find people in your life uh, or in your region that you might want to work with. But just to kind of structure, how would I do this? Because it's not that hard to uh, get some, you know, somebody to edit together a few stories uh, in your life. I remember my mom who died the last month, had done something really nice for Augie um, for one of his school projects. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of like the legacy of the family. the family and all these photographs. And if she wouldn't have done it, I and, and, you know, there's boxes and boxes of pictures. It was edited, you know? And so that was kind of my mom doing legacy work under the guise of a school project Yeah, for her grandson, you know? Absolutely. And now we have that and it can stay with our family. Yeah. That's a really good, that's, uh, I definitely think people like that more than, than a lot of the things that people fight over, you know? So I think that that piece of not living your life in regret by confronting some of these things, uh, you know, having to even, even at whatever stage of life you are at, it's always can take a moment to say, you know, what has been your legacy thus far, because at any point you could die. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we hear of young people dying, unfortunately, all the time. And 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 so they are still living these legacies. So it, that's something that if you don't like the way that that's shaping out right now <laughs> so far with what you've done, you can make changes. Right. You and, and you do it not because into, it's the right thing to do. Like you really need to do the right thing. No, no, it's do for it for meaning. yourself. Yeah. yeah like, just what gives you life. And one of the questions too, for the, um, with the legacy work too, is what makes you feel alive? When have you felt alive? It's mm. a good way to ask the question. Yeah. Yeah. And then, Let's do more of that when we have the time. Play into that, you know, like what, where, where do, where do you find life? And Give me some more questions. Uh, well, let's see. We don't need to do them all, but these are fun. I, last time it was uh, an un- uncomfortable experience, so I'm enjoying it now and, and like, a little bit of a different state of what mind. What do you want your family to know about you? And are there any particular things you want them to remember? Yeah. Uh, what are your hopes and dreams for your loved ones? You know, what Mm. would you like to see for them? Sometimes these are implicit, we think, but maybe we don't know, right? Wouldn't it be cool if, if one of our ancestors wanted for us what we wanted for ourselves, but we never verbalized it? Yeah. Well, well, that would be sad, but then like being able to have that revelation, like, wow, I want you to be happy and free. 
you do, Grandma. Well, that's great. Right. Yeah. Well, and what's interesting is is whether it's in writing, whether it's in audio, mm-hmm. uh, I would say that anything, I would say for my own life, I've really appreciated audio for anybody that I think is that's no longer true. living. I really well, am that's so glad that we have those recordings of Augie's voice. There's something that just takes me right back there. When well, I hear his voice, the vibrations on this planet that mm-hmm. pass through his vocal cords go into the membrane of this microphone and it goes in through this wire and it vibrates and then it sends a little message to this little chip and then it comes back out and vibrates in a speaker. There's that vibration element. And you can hear in that, like if, you know, if, if you're a parent that wants to pass something off to your children or your grandchildren to hear your voice, to hear your tone, to hear your expressions, the way you say it, there's something that just comes alive about that whole experience. I like it better than video. Yeah. Like when, like I don't like wedding videos after that. It's like you have this beautiful magical picture in your head and it was that, but it's so hard. You know, if you take a, a and video VHS, is good too. Like there could be no, a, a, I was a time and place for video. Just talking about yeah. me. I think video could be good, but I guess what I'm saying is, well, very often, unless you have it like really professionally done, so, some, sometimes it can just be distracting. Yeah. With that voice, you can close your eyes and you can feel that presence. Whereas if I'm watching the video, mm-hmm. I'm drawn back to 1987. Yeah. And when I go back to 1987, then it's all that, all the emotion. I'm that, like, well, why, you know, yeah. why didn't we have better carpet or yeah. like, there's, there's a all lot of extra these, baggage. Yeah. 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 So when I just hear the voice, it's like this voice comes, I mean, I'm not, I'm just saying for me, that's, that's kind of the way, the way I would do it. But whatever it is, getting that stuff down is really helpful. Yeah, it could just the, be the other thing journal. too. Yeah. And the other thing too is, I mean, if you ever thought about it, like, you know, sitting down and writing your own obituary and, Hey, if there are things that you think are important to put in there, you're doing your loved ones also a world of favor if you already have Yeah, they feel like they honored you. Part of that written out for them, right? And it can be changed, it can be updated, it's not the end all, but something that to start out with, um I did another like exercise um when I was doing my training and stuff of uh basically, you know, you're you're like as if you were going to be dying unexpectedly and then you write a letter to your loved ones that exercise was super helpful um on just for you processing all these things um and on top of that like um sharing what i love about each family member and and all that you know and and various things that maybe my regrets are asking for forgiveness for certain things Mm -hmm. Um, it was very healing i remember them and then having a chance to share that with everyone if you want to ahead of time instead of you know i mean and if it's just something they find later on after you've passed then that's one thing but um if you want to actually like you know use that as a launching point to have a conversation with a loved one say hey i was kind of just going through this exercise, if you will, I'm, you know, processing things. And I just wanted to share this with you, but I found it really also helpful when, um, I had already kind of like thought through some of these things that I had already, you know, really sort of thought through of the things that I loved about Augie. And so when he actually did die, I can pull from some of that when my brain just wasn't working. Right. Uh, and then of course add to it the newfound, you know, things that came up, you know, when you actually do have to process it. But I just having something, I'm kind of person that like is just so hard for me to put 
the initial thing on paper. And so when I'm staring down the fact that we're going to have a service and I'm going to have to like write something. Oh yeah. That's it, it I'm was, still dealing with the stress of like having to plan like an impromptu like wedding. Like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? And yeah, all of the emotions. Like, so all of the stuff that any of the, the planning pieces of things that can be done, you know, ahead of time takes that burden off of your loved ones. So, you know, we, we knew Augie enough to like know that uh, he would appreciate the green burial, but like, does somebody want to be cremated? Do they want to, um, you know, have a green burial? Do they want to be buried? You know, what can you best do to help honor these wishes? And so the more that we leave a map, if you will, for our loved ones to follow, the less thinking they have to do when they are in the thick of the grieving and everything else they have to process. And it just does, it does, they know that they are honoring you. And then they know that they're not having to make these difficult decisions themselves. And they're not going to fight over what your wishes are. I do want to go back to the woo just for one second, just because I'm going to forget it if I don't mention it now. And that is, I think at two in the morning when I was tossing and turning, we had that uh, Duncan Trussell podcast on Mm. and Ram Dev uh, and uh, Duncan were talking about this idea of um, dealing with or, well, the problem of it, it seems like the universe, the Tao, God does not answer our prayers. Mm. But this came in part of your story. Yeah. Would you share that? Yeah. So I was... Laying in bed, I was trying to sleep myself and having a hard time. And, you know, I was like kind of checking back in with Augie and sort of like, you know, I would love to hear from you again. I would love to like, I don't know, like feel your presence or a sign or something that you're okay, that you're with us um, or something. I didn't, I just... Anyway, I was well, like... We, we had been talking about this in the context of also um, the Taoist forms of meditation, and one of them being the use of visualization and the importance of whether or not you believe in an ancestral spirit or a deity actually being there, talking to it, mm-hmm. talking to them as a way to help your brain kind of process and, and that value. So we like that was something that you know, I think we said on this podcast, we said, well, I mean, I'm comfortable with the first kind where I'm meditating on something that's very, I'm hyper-focusing on one physical thing. I'm very cool with the idea of appreciating and res- and respecting and being aware of all of the stimuli around me. But the idea of speaking to a spirit or a god or goddess, I don't know. And yet, if you don't get too hung up on the doctrines and the, and just, just be open to that process. It can be a very powerful uh, practice. Yeah. Well, and I would say, so part of, you know, part of me even kind of saying that or bringing that up too, was I remembered, uh, as we, it was before Augie's memorial service and shortly after he died, of course, uh, that I was just laying there and I was like, are you okay? Like, I was just like, like feeling this like deep sense of like, as a mother, especially needing to know. Mm-hmm. 
that like, you know, I didn't, I definitely didn't think that he would still, sorry. Yeah. I just, I wanted a sign or something. And then all of a sudden I had this feeling come over me. That was just this, like this overwhelmingly like beautiful and good sensation come through my whole body. It, I've never felt anything like it before. It was like this, like peacefulness, this, um, my body felt like a wave of something good, true and beautiful passing through it. Mm -hmm. I don't know of any other way to describe it. It's, I don't have words for it, but I just had this like feeling come and it passed through me. It wasn't like something that stayed there very long, but it was like this sensation. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> that was crazy. <laughs> like I didn't expect like that immediate either, um, or, or that to happen. So similarly, it had been a while. Um, and you know, there are times where I had felt like there were like signs or things or whatever. Um, and I, it just, I'd felt like it had been a while. I felt a little bit more out of touch with Augie. And so I just kind of, you know, threw that back out there. This is last night. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, yeah. Was it last night or the night before? But anyway, yes. Um, we're listening to this podcast. And so when I, and I just mentioned, you know, like a sign or something, you know, again, I just kind of wanted, you know, wanted that something. And then literally like the next thing that's happening on the podcast that I'm hearing is that Ram Dev is reading a, a Rumi quote. It's a yes, short quote. Do you remember the what the Rumi Oh, I can only said? summarize it. It's the idea that the very longing that is causing you to cry out is the answer to the prayer. Yeah. And that, that's what was, that was exactly what was, what he said after. Yeah. yeah so the fact that you're, the fact that, that you're I am calling my, out, that I am calling out is actually more as if like Augie were almost like calling out through you. Yeah. And so there, it was like this weird thing of like, that didn't have to be what was next said in this conversation. They weren't talking about death in this conversation yeah. and they weren't talking, you know what I mean? It was time. just right there for you. Yeah. And it was just right there. And, and then the next, then, then, yeah. And then the next thing that morning was there's a, you know, we do our silly little cards, you know, a lot of times in the mornings and, and it's just a way for us to kind of. Oracle cards. It, right? it is a great way to hang out um, with Sydney in the mornings. And, Anyway, there was this one um, Guan Yin card deck that we have, and Alana Fairchild Guan Yin. What's it called? Oracle deck, I yeah. think. But um, <laughs> not too hard to find. Anyway, the K W A N Y I N. All these things you can find on our show notes <laughs> at protectornoggin.org. The card that that Sydney pulls is the Gates of Heaven, and that was Augie's card that he got. The first time I ever did cards with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, you've always said that that's, that's his card. That's his card. You got dead end. <laughs> well, that's a different one. That's an archetype card. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, that was, that yeah, was today. That was today <laughs> that I got the arch- the dead end card and um, realized, yeah, that 
I I think uh, some of my life decisions are coming to a dead end. And um, I want, once again, as you know, I think there's always a moment to reevaluate exactly where you're at. Yeah. Um, and, and then to say, okay, so we've made some huge changes and some huge progress. And I realize that certain avenues of my life are, are going into a little bit more of a dead end that I want to, you know, kind of look and see. I don't want to be at a point three years from now saying I wished I had made now these other changes and I never did, you know? So case in point, you want to do more death doula work and less scrambling. It's a process. It's it's, it's not a one and done, but I think that by beginning the process and understanding the freedom and liberation that you have on the other side, it is something that you will continually always evaluate and look at so that you aren't sitting there at the end of life, you know, with just nothing but a huge list of regrets, Mm -hmm. you know, that you've, you saw, the, the, the changes that you made and the, the progression that your life went into. And I would say that, uh, by being able to confront death, you're also then like one of the things that, that I think is hugely important is to be able to confront any of your fears that you have in because general. in general, because if you're always running from a fear, you're going to be running from something and not to or towards something. And so (laughs) think about this. You are not a free, liberated individual when you're running from things constantly, right? Or a thing. You're, you're literally just avoiding avoiding something, you know, uh, where you start living is if you can stare down that fear face that fear and then decide, you know, okay, what is that? Get to the bottom of that, right? What is that? Once you can face that and figure that out, then you could see what's on the other side of that. And there'll probably be other fears that will keep continuing to, you know, it's not like, again, a one and done. It's a process. This whole thing's a process. Yeah. But as you see the progress that you keep making, and I, and I think that you'll feel um, that, liberation and that freedom as you keep making, you know, these different changes that you need to make in your life so that you can live more fully and, and actually be living, which is, I think the point of us being here on earth is to live and experience what it is to be that human being that you are right now in relation to the human beings around you and whatever that looks like. Right. The meaning of life is life. And uh, one of the ways you get there, uh, I would say, in terms of spiritual practice, is coming to some kind of realization like uh, I put into like a two-line poem. Last night, I stopped breathing and became breath. Mm-hmm. So I think that the work that you do, I've seen it um, in action, um, allowing people to become that, when I say become breath, like you're alive when you're breath when you are doing this work like this is a chore i've got to do i've got to breathe yeah those are like they seem like the same things but they're very they're very different and i also think it's really nice to see that for whatever reason you are able to kind of go into a zone when you're when you're doing your death doula work that's like i I would almost say impeccable (laughs) because it's like sometimes we'll, we'll like fight about how we're even talking to people at a party, you know, mm-hmm. or like, you know, a fight, you know, quarrel about, or like, I'll say, Hey, like I wouldn't say, but when you're in that space, like it's kind of, um, 
it's really cool to see. I have to say, I really enjoy seeing you do that because I'm like, I trust you implicitly when you're in that space, in that coaching role, because through training and just through the framing of what you're doing, you're able to then separate it out. So it's kind of like, and you said, you know, you really can't death doula your your partner or somebody too close. I mean, right. you can do some things because there's so much of you in it. Right. So if I'm, conf- if I'm, if I'm confronting something, I might also be judging you or it might appear for me to be judging you. Right. So having it's, somebody who's an objective ish observer is correct. what this work is. Right. Uh, and that, and that's one thing that's just so hard is yes. Anybody that is involved in your story, if you will, in your mm-hmm. life, um, when have we ever had a pastor that if we were at the end of our lives, our statements about all of this stuff would have been seen as a failure or, you know, lack in them. Right. Mm, yeah. Like I'm going to hell because I don't believe what pastor says. And he's now trying his hardest to make sure I get back on at the end. So he doesn't have to go to his, you know, next meeting brown bag lunch with the other pastors and feel like he or lost a soul for all of eternity in front of God saying, you know, yeah. failure. <laughs> yeah. You like know? how I made the judgment, the, uh, the, the lunch, but no, I mean, that's, that's it. Right. So that if so, I'm having a certain kind of doubt, the pastor might think this is my role where I've got to like kind of fix you. this. And if I'm dealing with, you know, uh, a loved one, they may love me more than the death doula. It does in terms of like some kind of long story, but the, death doula role is a really helpful one because it, it kind of set, sets you well, out from a lot of that. And it's because the whole point isn't to fix. It's not about fixing. That's the... My job isn't, to, the whole isn't to fix thing, you. Yeah. If I'm fixing you, then you aren't going to see any liberation. And friends, if you're hearing us go off into some kind of wacky religious mythological conversations, that's because Stacy's just being tolerant of me because <laughs> that's the kind of places I go because that's the world I've been living in. But, but I think sometimes whenever, you know, whenever we have these conversations, I, I lure you out into spaces that um, wouldn't be your normal protocol. Oh, yeah. I mean, and then that's the other thing, too, is just being open to where that conversation yes. needs to go. And, you know, and so for everybody, it's different. I would say, uh, you know, some things about, you know, what can you do? You, you know, we mentioned, you know, you've, you've got all these like fears and things to talk mm. through or whatever. All of this really, the point of it is for you to, I would say, um, to be able to face reality, yep. whatever that reality is. Uh, I would also say that um, it's interesting how much judgment that we would put in on our own situation given reality. So for instance, you know, there are people that if you're missing a leg, well, I feel like less of a person because I don't have a leg, right? Well, no, I mean, that's, that is your reality. Like if you don't have a leg, like who told you that that also isn't okay? You know? Yes. We shame ourselves or judge ourselves. Just because you maybe don't feel like you are a whole or complete person or whatever, but that is part of the human experience. People lose legs. I mean, I'm not saying that there isn't pain or, you know, that involved in that, if, if that's what your story is. But if you're not like moving around the way everybody else is moving around, I would, yeah. (laughs) Why are you beating yourself up about this? And and I think that what I, where, where it becomes more painful for people is when somebody who has to live without a leg or something 
where people start to look at them differently. Yes. And we felt that when we lost our son. Oh, yeah. That the way people would look at us. So if you do have a terminal illness or something and people learn about it and they look at you differently, that often is... You make them uncomfortable. It feels it. Yeah, because they feel like for some reason I am not whole. I am not like... I'm. I'm not like I'm something to be shamed or something to not, you know, people can't handle. Oh, I totally, we totally felt that when we were in California, nobody did it on purpose, but it was just like, oh man, like we would turn around a corner and somebody would just like start crying and like turn their faces away. It's just nice to be in a different town so that people don't have to be confronted with the uncomfortable. And especially because, you know, at a point when, if we're not like ready to even like, confront our own grief in that situation. And all of a sudden we see somebody else changing the way they look at us. It brings you right back right. to that. And so now I'm no longer You're living every day in a funeral too. Yeah. yeah that, no, I'm not really <laughs> yeah. like, you know, I'm not taking out the trash right now. Instead I'm now grieving my son, Yeah, you know, and, and there is a beauty into me just taking out the trash right now and not, right. you know, I mean, it, there are moments when I'm going to, you know, have that grieving, but I, but, the point is, is living in your reality, living in that moment in your present moment and not judging yourself as like not as whole of a person or not as complete. Um, all of those things, because we've experienced trauma or pain or suffering, that's part of the human experience. That is normal. This is why I was, I was almost chuckling. So I had to stop myself, but I was noticing how like we moved from the, one of the cleanest places in the world, mm-hmm. you know, beautiful Southern California and orange County and tract homes and all this very clean. And we are in one of the saltiest places we're in Portland, yeah, which we love. But what we like, I think what we like about it is it's not slap happy. Like, Around here, I mean, last night we went to this dive bar called George's, you know, that we could walk to. And it's like every day is salty. There's a lot of people that just recognize that it's bumpy ride. Yeah. And people don't have the luxury or the real interest around here, it seems to me, in denying that it's a bumpy ride. And there's a lot of places where everybody is trying to put out this thing like everything's cool yeah that, but that, it's not cool and so you feel like what's wrong with me you know yeah it's like a candy coated yeah and it's not like not an attack on bougie yeah. well i think i, I think <laughs> there's, I'm, I'm, there's a little, so, I'm a little bit down on a certain kind of capitalist so many, there's uh, so many times when people storage i will say this usually people aren't picking Portland to live if, as a choice. If you didn't just grow up here, you're not. Unless usually, you're a hipster, you're not usually picking it unless the hipsters are gone. You've lived it's some morphed. life, and now you are choosing to be here. You know, when you when you think of like, there's so many people that will say like they're trying to either get out of Portland, um, <laughs> but if <laughs> people they, are either trying to get out, if they're if they're coming to Portland, there's usually a little bit more life experience yeah. and, and some trauma in there that they've had uh, that for whatever reason they're drawn. The rain to this fits the soundtrack. Yeah, but it's also beautiful, and also the nice thing I love about it is these long summers. Well, and I think that again, denying that uh, that pain exists that personal trauma exists yeah i don't find helpful because you know like the the southern california what i often experienced is is that you put on 
the the look of everything is okay your life is right. perfect in that that is a sign of success and if you, you don't have it, there's something wrong with you and it will morally you're no, less i mean i would than, say or... in a highly i mean look cuz here's my main thing with orange county if you're in a if you're in a very uh, kind of capitalist situation um, there is this kind of american implicit myth that suggests that almost kind of like the health wealth kind of uh, televangelists, but also in early colonial America, that if you are God's elect, if you're on God's side and you're doing the right things, then you're going to prosper and you're going to suffer when you're sinning or when, um, when you're somehow defective. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, the, the hard part of course in Portland is, you know, as we're walking to our, coffee shop or whatever, you see human suffering um, far more often than we're used to in other places. I would say even more than in Los Angeles, for instance, where you could, you know, you see it, but you're driving past. And here there's just so much of us uh, walking around. I would say that no matter where you find yourself, a couple things. One is uh, there are difficult things that will happen in life. Uh, we do experience pain. That's also part of, part of that whole story, but it's not the only story. And there's also joy and beauty that we can find in this life too. And I would say that by one facing reality where whatever that is, there are times that we can experience uh, escapism Mm -hmm. uh, when we are reluctant to face reality and whatever those things might be. I mean, it's easy to throw ourselves into social media or, TV watching or whatever, and those things all have their time and place as well. But uh, really just facing reality and facing uh, like just what is my existence right now? Am I currently in this moment? Am I in pain? Um, Maybe. But I particularly don't happen to be, and I'm enjoying this conversation with you and I can be in this moment mm. with you. If we're present in the conversations that we have with individuals when we are outside and you're present with looking at the birds and the squirrels, you know, in the trees or, you know, all of those things that I know it sounds silly and it sounds kind of trite, but I didn't really, uh, start to experience, um, or really know how much life was out there when I was hiking until we started bird watching. Right. Then all of a sudden, all these things come alive, not just birds, but mushroom (laughs) identification, foraging. Yeah. By like just looking and being aware of all of your surroundings, it gets you outside of your own head and you start to like see what's going on in the world and the environment around you. I don't know. Are the people around you happy or sad? And, and why, and one of the things, you know, that I, I think there's this kind of the magic of the Tao Te Ching, like the secret, do you know what the secret is? Stare at a piece of uncarved wood. <laughs> Look at nature. And it's like, I, I, every day get more and more like confirmation of how, empower, of how important that is, but it didn't make sense at first. Mm-hmm. Just stare at. Uh, 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 like driftwood, basically. Look at wood. Yeah. And that's the meditative uh, naturalness. That actually is what you're doing now. I mean, I just, I, I still can't get over how providential, <laughs> destined, 
<laughs> like now I'm using these like kind of philosophical, maybe theological words, but no, really, it's really wild that what we were after, they're the kind of, they're the similar kind of thing. Mm-hmm. This translation, this work you're doing, our escape into a spiritual exile, they're all kind of part of this interesting and sometimes very painful, <laughs> um, but right now kind of joyful. Like my neck's hurting and I have enjoyed this conversation with you, baby. And it gets, it gets me a little bit uh, of a lift yeah. today to think about, uh, you know, a few of you out there might have uh, listened to this and, and said, you know, yeah, I do have intrinsic value. Yeah, I well, am going to, I'm going to live. And I would also say that it is important to get in touch with your body. It isn't, isn't, it is important to take inventory, you know, mm. you have neck pain. So, you know, <laughs> what's up with that? What's up with that? Where did that come from? You know, did, and when, you know, there's always, I slept on it funny. Well, why did you sleep on it funny? You know, That's what's right. going on that you slept on it funny? Mm-hmm. Things like that, where, you know, not to just like, if we don't get to the root of some of these things, then we're putting band-aids on stuff that just doesn't really matter. And it's not really going to actually ever bring you to the other side of living in that, that joy and that, that peace. And so by taking inventory of your body, by seeing your surroundings and, and where everybody's at around you, uh, breathing, like you said, notice your mm-hmm. breath, you know, uh, become the breath. Yeah. Like fully, I don't know, feel like, take a deep breath in and then let that out. Like there's just offering that space just to, to have these moments of connecting with, with your body. I mean, ultimately when you die, that's we, we leave our bodies behind and there's something there about our embodiment that is that is part of the whole point of this existence because why else would we, why else would we be here in bodily form? Right. And so often I think we cast aside our, our, our bodies and our, you know, we do what we need to, to get by, but we don't listen. We don't really listen to ourselves and to our bodies and what they're telling, what, what it's telling us anyway. And I think by going through all of these things, it really can help you to, decide, am I going to start living into joy, you know, in, into beauty? And I don't, and I'm not talking about like silly happiness, you know, but I'm not just talking about like that, that deep, deep eternal joy. And I do encourage you friends. One of the things that I am so grateful for is some of these moments when I am sitting around with the family and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is a moment of joy that I sat there and I thought about it for 30 seconds and I held that moment yeah, push and, record and I have that moment with me forever while I'm, you know, that we don't have, we won't have those times again with Augie, you know, but I have that moment that is seared, if you will, in mm-hmm. my brain. And, and so when you recognize that you're at one of those moments, take that time because there's so much more negativity we put into ourselves that we don't ever, um, we don't do enough to reflect on what is that joy or those happy times that we've had um, and just be able to live in and experience that. Because once you realize there's, 
once you realize it, I think you'll find more and more of those moments around you if you can just be present enough. That's what enlightenment really, I think, is. If I if I look at it from even a variety of traditions, it's just being aware, mm-hmm. being awake, being able to notice things. Otherwise, we get lost in our own thoughts and our own brains about things that aren't what we are currently doing in this current moment. So... Living now, freaks. Living the now, freaks. <laughs> and then that's where you can find some deep peace, peace upon peace. Uh, thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said there wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? Perhaps because you found this letter low too much.